<clears throat> I've really enjoyed being here today and appreciate the opportunity and the invitation that was extended to me to come and to spend time with you and worship together with you. Um, it's been a good day of fellowship and time spent together and would welcome you anytime if you're uh, in Gainesville. I know we're not far away, so but anytime you're welcome to come visit us, uh, either our home congregation or in our home, we'd love to have you. Um, also want to say thank you very much to the congregation here for the support that you give to us financially for our work. We really appreciate that. And, Appreciate your work here in Denton as well, and, and just really appreciate your fellowship as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and I uh, wanted to let you know that we appreciate that very much. This afternoon, we want to talk for just a few moments about another character in the Old Testament that we learned about, and that is uh, the woman Hannah. If you'd like to turn along with me, we're going to study from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah is really mentioned quite a bit in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and also 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, this afternoon, though, we're just going to focus on this first chapter here and talk a little bit about the story of Hannah. Um, of course, Hannah is Samuel's mom, and Hannah's story, I believe, teaches us quite a bit about how to handle difficult situations that we might find ourselves in life. Maybe, uh, like Hannah, we're going through a tough time. We're struggling with uh, infertility like Hannah did or some kind of other illness. Uh, or a, a problem in our family, or uh, health issues, or problems at work, or spiritual problems, just whatever storms come upon us in life, when we know that it's going to happen, and many of us have faced those, um, and if you haven't, then you will most likely face some sort of uh, difficulty and problem in your life. And it's said often that whenever we go through those hard times, that they can either draw us closer to God or push us farther away. And, of course, our goal as Christians should be to grow closer and draw nearer to Him whenever we face, well, in any time, but whenever we face difficulties and problems in life. And I believe when we study Hannah and look at the way that she responded to a very difficult situation in her life, we'll learn ways that we can cope with difficult times in our life that uh, are, are really great in helping us grow closer to God. She was truly devoted to God, even in a very difficult situation. And I think that we can learn a lot from studying uh, her story. She, of course, was the wife of Elkanah, um, who was a Levite during the time of Judges. So kind of focus and think about the timeline, uh, which I like the idea of a timeline. But kind of go back a few hundred years from Solomon back to the time of Judges. And you'll, well, actually, towards the end of the time of Judges here in the story of Hannah. Uh, but they didn't have kings back in those days. And Samuel, or actually Eli, was, was the high priest and, and a judge in a way. And um, that's the time period they lived in. And so Hannah is looking forward and into the future towards the time of kings, uh, the time of Saul and David and Solomon and all the other kings and and that's important to understand a little bit her context of where she's at in Israel's history. It really plays into more uh, when you consider chapter 2. But just understanding that is, is helpful when we think about where she's at uh, and what's going on. Back in those days, there was no temple in Jerusalem. Uh, so the tabernacle was in Shiloh. And, of course, the same law applied to the males every year. They were supposed to go up three times a year to the tabernacle in Shiloh to uh, 
observe the feast there. And so Eli, uh, or sorry, Elkanah, Hannah's husband, uh, goes up to Shiloh on a regular basis. And we'll see what happened one time he went up to Shiloh. And uh, an issue that came up regarding their family situation, Elkanah, of course, had another wife named Peninnah. Um, and we'll read about her starting in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So Hannah was one of these two wives of this, this Levi named Elkanah. Uh, and his other wife, Peninnah, had children, but Hannah herself wasn't able to have children. Uh, the Bible says, as we'll see in just a moment, that the Lord had shut up her womb. For whatever reason, she was not able to bear children. And uh, this lead, led to problems in their family relationship. But they would go up once a year to Shiloh. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord closed up her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And so they would go up once a year. Uh, back in those days, apparently there was a provision of the law. If you were in a poor family, you didn't have to necessarily go up three times a year. They allowed you to go up just one time a year to Shiloh. And it appears that that's what they did. Uh, that that was an allowance, perhaps not in the law, but that was something that was allowed to be done uh, by the priest at the time. And so they went up once a year, and they visited the tabernacle there in Shiloh. And Eli, being a, a Levite, had to sacrifice there at the tabernacle. And one of the things that uh, the Levites were allowed to do a lot of times whenever they made these sacrifices is they were allowed to eat of the sacrifice. They were allowed to eat and give their families uh, that portion that was sacrificed. And so he gave a portion of it to his wife, Peninnah. And Peninnah's children. And he also gave another portion to Hannah, but it was a better portion or a double portion because the Bible says he loved her. He had favor for his wife Hannah, who wasn't able to have children. And as a result, it's provoked jealousy, as you might imagine, in a family with two wives. There's going to be jealousy probably. But there was jealousy with Peninnah. As Peninnah did, was able to have children, but she saw that Hannah was favored. And so Hannah, or Peninnah provoked Hannah and ridiculed her because of the fact that she wasn't able to have children. So Hannah, obviously, as we're going to see, wanted to have children, and it was something that in those days was considered a very uh, important thing for women to have a family and to have children uh, for many reasons. But one of the reasons why is because of the prophecy given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which says, And I'll put enmity between you and your seed, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." So they knew that through the descendants of Adam and Eve, someday there was going to be this Messiah who was going to bruise the heel of Satan, of the serpent. And so they wanted to have children. They wanted to fulfill the command in Genesis 9 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth so that their children they could raise and they could have 
uh, give birth to the Messiah. And we see, if you'll look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a prayer that Hannah prays, rejoicing in God and her situation, which is very similar to the prayer that Mary prayed, the mother of Jesus, uh, in the New Testament. And there's striking similarities between those two prayers. But uh, Mary was rejoicing over the fact that she had been chosen, if you will, to give birth to the Messiah. And women wanted that opportunity. You know, it was a great blessing to have children because either that child or the descendants of those children could become the Messiah. And so for a woman to not have children, it was, they were sort of seen as outcasts in the nation. And Penitent mocked her about this. So not only was she miserable because she wasn't able to have children, but the other wife ridiculed her about it, and it made her situation even worse. And Elkanah tried to comfort her. You know, of course, that didn't seem to work very much. He said, am I not better than you than ten sons? And, you know, I don't imagine that he had a lot of empathy for him being able to have children and her not. This is something that is very difficult. You know, for a while, my wife and I didn't know whether or not we were going to be able to have kids. We had, we'd gone for a while, and it wasn't happening a few years. And uh, so, you know, wanting to have children and realizing that it hasn't happened in the normal time amount that it should or that it often does, and realizing that we may be struggling with some sort of infertility is a difficult thing to deal with. It's very difficult not knowing whether or not that ever is going to come to fruition, especially if that's something that you desire. And so Hannah was going through a very difficult time. Of course, we're grateful that that God blessed us with two children now, and so uh, we're thankful that that's the case, but you never know. And sometimes people struggle with that, and, and they're not able to have children, and maybe they have to adopt or do other things. And that's the way life is sometimes, but it's very difficult whenever you're in that situation and you don't know. And so Hannah was going through this bitterness of, of heart and soul, a very difficult time in her life. It says in verse 9, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord, and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant to a, a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And so Hannah was in bitterness of soul, and in her anguish she cried out before God, and she prayed this prayer, weeping to God bitterly. And it's a remarkable prayer. And we're going to talk more about it in just a moment. But she vowed in her prayer that, God, if you will only give me a male child, I'm going to dedicate this child to your service all the days of his life. No razor is going to come upon his head. This is a reference to the Nazarite vow. If you look in the book of Numbers, it talks about how Nazarites, for the duration of the time that they vowed this vow, were not allowed to cut their hair. And they weren't allowed to touch a dead body. They weren't allowed to drink wine. There are certain provisions, things they couldn't do. They were supposed to be holy basically dedicated to serving God for the duration of that vow. Well, she said that her child would be a Nazarite from birth. For all his life, he would be dedicated to the service of God. And that's a very powerful commitment that she made uh, on behalf of her child if God granted her that request. Verse 12 says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink. 
but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Eli saw her lips moving in the silent prayer, and he thought, well, she's drunk. I mean, look, what is she doing? And he said, put your wine away from you. Why are you going to be drunk like this? I mean, they were there at the tabernacle. Why are you coming up to the tabernacle drunk like this? And, and Hannah said, no, I'm not drunk. I was praying before God. She was pouring out her soul before God. Don't consider me a wicked woman. I've poured out my grief and my complaint to God. And Eli realized what had happened. And he blessed her, and he blessed her request, and he said, Go in peace, the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Now, notice exactly the language of this. He says, uh, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. He doesn't say God will grant that petition. He doesn't say that the thing that you asked for in your prayer, that's definitely going to come to pass. He blessed her that it would happen, but of course we know and understand that even if we desire something great we, literally, and we ask God for those things, God sometimes says no. He didn't say for sure whether or not her petition would be granted. And nonetheless, she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight, and she went away and she was no longer sad. She had peace in trusting in God, even though she didn't know whether or not her petition that she had asked of God would be granted. Why did she have that peace? Because she had given her complaint fully over to God and trusted in Him to let Him handle it, to put it in His hands. And therefore, she didn't have to have any more concern or worry about it, whether or not, regardless of whether or not God actually answered her request uh, in the positive. She could still go her way and no longer be sad. She still rejoiced in God. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Verses 19 to 23 continues the story. It says, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. So it came to pass over the course of time that uh, they were going to have to go back to Shiloh. And, and Elkanah and Hannah had had the child, and they named him Samuel, which means asked of God. At this point, and they're ready to go, and, and Elkanah's ready and, and says, okay, let's go. And Hannah says, no, hold on, not yet. Let me take a little bit of time to wean the child, and then once he's weaned, then I'll give him to the service of God. I'll take him up to Shiloh, and I'll let him stay there forever. And so Elkanah allowed her to do that, and, and whenever he was weaned, then they decided to go. He said, don't, don't forget your vow. Only let the Lord establish his word. And so many scholars believe that uh, he probably would have been weaned by around the time that he was around three years old. And once uh, he was that age, we'll see in just a moment that Hannah did indeed follow up with her vow and continue it or, uh, and, and uh, fulfill it. Verse 24 says, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. 
and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young, again, maybe around three. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I have asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. So they went up to Shiloh with the child and with the, the sacrifice, and she gave Samuel over to Eli and said, Eli, this is the child that I was praying for, and God's granted me my request. Now I'm going to give him fully over to the service of God, and he's going to serve and worship God for the rest of his life. And so she gave up her child to the service of God, and Eli took the child in and raised him, and he became a great prophet in Israel in those days. And we know a lot about the prophet Samuel. But Hannah devoted this child fully to the service of God for all of his life. Now, of course, Hannah's story doesn't stop there. Again, there is more in chapter 2, which we're not going to cover today. Maybe at some point, uh, if I come back, I have a sermon on chapter 2 and that prayer that she pray prayed and the similarities between that and Mary's prayer. Uh, but I encourage you to study that on your own. But I think there's a lot we can learn just from looking at chapter 1, the story of Hannah, about how to handle difficult times in our lives. We, like Hannah, may go through hard times. When you find yourself in a distressful situation, whatever it may be, maybe, maybe it's like Hannah, maybe you're struggling with infertility or some other uh, health problem or the loss of a loved one or, or a spiritual difficulty that you may find yourself in. How do you handle it? What is your response? Hannah gives us a blueprint of, of a great way to handle difficult situations. Let's think about what she did. The first thing she did whenever she found herself in bitterness and anguish of soul was that she turned to God in prayer. And that's really remarkable to me that that was her first thought was to pray. And I, I want you to think about a couple of other women in the Bible who went through a very similar situation to Hannah. One of those was Rachel and the other one was Sarah. Rachel and Sarah both struggled with infertility at times in their life and they handled it in a very different way than Hannah did. Hannah, whenever she struggled with that, she went to God with per in prayer. And that's a great example to us. Sarah, whenever she struggled with infertility, said that her, her way of handling that was that she uh, convinced her husband basically to marry her maidservant and have a child with her. And that child would kind of become her child because, you know, she was the she was her maidservant, and so her child would also be her servant, and therefore the child would kind of, she thought that that would be a great way for her to kind of have a child uh, through another woman, I guess, and, and that's the way that she tried to handle that. Rachel, on the other hand, went to her husband Jacob and, and said, give me a child or else I'm going to die. And Jacob was very upset about that. He was indignant and said, how can I give you a child? You know, how, how can I uh, allow you to be able to have children? Am I God that I can do that? That's something that he couldn't do. That's something that he didn't have the ability to do. And so these two women had, and she actually did the same thing that Sarah did. She, she had her husband marry her maidservant and try to have a child uh, through him. And later she had children, so did Sarah. But these two women handled it in a very different way than Hannah did. Sarah tried to take matters into her own hands. Whenever she had this trouble, whenever she had this problem, she thought she had a solution by allowing Hagar to have a child with her husband. And this led to issues in their family. 
whenever uh, Abraham married Hagar. Rachel, on the other hand, blamed someone else whenever she had a problem. She went to her husband, Jacob, and said, well, you give me a child or else I'll die. And Jacob rightly said, I don't have any control over that. I don't have any control over the, you having the ability to have children. And so we see two responses that we often have whenever we go through difficult times. One is that instead of turning to God and trusting in Him, we try to fix it ourselves. We come up with our own plans and our own ideas about the best way to handle it. Instead of turning to God's Word, instead of turning to Him in prayer, we try to fix it on our own. Or we lash out and blame other people like Rachel did. But that's not the way that, Rachel, that Hannah handled it. Hannah didn't rash, lash out at her rival like Rachel did, and she didn't try to take matters into her own hands. She went to God in prayer. And you know, whenever we go through difficult times in life, that should be a lot of times our first response is to turn to God in prayer. But all too often it's not. You know, sometimes it is. And I, I'll tell you, the situations, at least for me in my life, when that was my automatic response. And the reason for that is because I had no other choice. One is when my wife Emily was first diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer in the middle of a pandemic. She was pregnant at the time. We didn't know how extensive the, the cancer was. We didn't know whether or not she was going to be able to receive the treatment that the doctors might want to give her because of the pregnancy. And so we were in a very, very difficult situation. And we had no control over it. And... Whenever you're in a bad situation and you have no control, it's obvious to pray. So we prayed, and we turned to God and said, we, we can't, I, there's nothing I can do about this. Help us, God. Get us through this situation. And, it's, and we do that sometimes when we're in those, that helpless state. But often, at least for me, whenever there's a trouble in my life that I feel like I can influence or I can have some sort of say in how it goes on, my first response is often not to turn to God in prayer. My first response is to try to handle it myself. When I, if I do have a little bit of control over it, I try to do it. I'll give you an example of this. A while back, I was uh, driving around, and, and there's a park nearby there in Gainesville that, uh, that has these big you know, 40-gallon trash bags or, what, or trash cans. So I had a little bit of garbage in my car, and I was going to throw away the garbage. So I went to the park and did that. And then I got ready to go and leave the park, and I put my car into drive. It's got an automatic transmission, so I expect it when I put it into drive for it to go. But I put it in drive, and it didn't go. And I thought, oh, no, this isn't good. What am I going to do? So I put it in reverse, and the car didn't go back. It didn't go anywhere. And I'm, I put it in every gear possible, and none of them did anything. And so my immediate thought was, great, my transmission is blown. And... I'm going to have to pay $3,000 to get a brand new transmission. And so my, I had a very minor, especially compared to cancer or other difficulty times in our life, a very minor difficulty in my life. And my first thought was not to turn to God in prayer. My first thought was, oh, great, I'm going to have to fix this by doing this, that, and the other. And so what did I do at that point? Did I, did I go to God in prayer? Did I ask God to, to relieve my anxiety over this situation and, and perhaps help in this situation? No, I didn't turn to God. I turned to Google, and I tried to figure out how I could fix my car and what might be wrong with it. And so I went to YouTube, and, and they said that there's sometimes an issue with, our, with your gear shift 
where the linkage between the transmission and the gear shift comes loose. And so I thought, well, maybe that's it. So I took apart the center console there, and I looked in there, and sure enough, that little link had, had come off. The plastic clip had broken. And so I, you may, you may want to cover your ears for this, especially the kids. I took my library card, and I cut it up, and I made it into a little clip, and I put it back together and pressed that on there, and, and it stayed on. And I put everything back together and put it in drive, and off I went. And it worked. I fixed the situation. And my thought as I was leaving the parking lot and driving off, only then was, you know what? The first thing I should have done in that situation when I was so distressed and so upset, man, I don't have 3000 bucks to fix this transmission. Why didn't I turn to God in prayer? Why is my first thought in difficult situations not to turn to my father and give up my anxieties and cares to him? I'm a person who worries a lot sometimes. And especially if I think I can do something to fix it, I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to contemplate it. I'm going to try to fix it on my own. But God wants us to be anxious for nothing. He doesn't want us to have cares and worries in this life, about, especially about things that don't matter. And yet all too often we spend so much of our time doing that. Our first response should be to go to our Father in prayer and to turn over our anxieties and our troubles over to Him, knowing that He cares for us and that He loves us. And he'll take care of us. So instead of doing what I often do, try to take matters into my own hands, or another thing I often do sometimes is blame someone else whenever I'm going through a difficult time, which if my wife were here, she could tell you that I do that sometimes. Uh, not too long ago, there was something that I was looking for that was missing in the house. And I really thought I knew where it was, and it was not there. And so I was pretty sure that somebody had taken it and put it somewhere else, and it wasn't me. And so I blamed my wife and said, where did you put this? I know that I didn't move it. I know that, that it's not where it's supposed to be, so you must have taken it and put it somewhere else. And she had not moved it, and I found out later that I had moved it, and I just forgot about it. But my response was to blame someone else instead of taking responsibility for my situation. And Rachel did the same thing. We do the same thing. Whenever we're going through difficult times, we don't trust God. We don't turn to Him. We blame other people. We lash out. We try to handle it ourselves. We don't respond in the right way. Hannah certainly did. She had the kind of relationship with her father where she turned to him in difficult times, where she, like 1 Thessalonians 5 or 17 says, prayed without ceasing. Do we trust in God and have the kind of relationship with Him? where we're going to turn to Him at all times and constantly and without stopping, trust in Him to take care of us. God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to put our cares over upon Him. Just like I, my children, whenever they go through, they get hurt or something happens, I want them to be willing to come to me or, or, or feel like I can help them. And I don't want them to be afraid of me to come and if they have a problem, to tell me about it. I think God's the same way. God is our Father. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-7 through seven says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. God cares about us. God cares about you. And all too often, myself, I hold on to those anxieties, I hold on to those worries, and I don't give it over to God. But God doesn't want us to feel that way. God doesn't want us to hold on to that. He wants us to be anxious for nothing, as Philippians 4 says. 
but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And a lot of times we, we struggle with, with anxious thoughts and, and difficulties, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about if you truly have anxiety. I know that there is you know, a mental uh, issue with that sometimes. But the little things in life that we worry about, we don't give it over to God. We know that we need to be anxious for nothing, and we just don't do it. It's easier said than done sometimes. But if we pray to God and we turn ourselves, turn our, our problems over to Him, it'll grant us great peace in our life if we're just willing to accept that. And if that's not the kind of relationship that you have, if you try to handle problems in a different way than this, then I encourage you to give those things up, and you'll have great peace in turning over to God, and I need to do the same. Another thing we can learn about how to deal with the difficult situation in our life from Hannah is to truly and completely devote everything about our life over to Him so that we don't have that selfish attitude that says, I want what I want, and if I don't get it, I'm not going to have joy, and I'm not going to give everything over to God, and I'm just going to wallow in this misery. That's not what Hannah did. Look back at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18-19. through This is the second chapter. It says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So, year by year, it seems once a year, she went up to Shiloh and saw her child that she had so greatly longed for. Think about that for just a second. She wanted this child so badly and yet, whenever she finally received the child, she only was able to see him once a year. How difficult would that be for a mother to want a child and receive the child and to give him up? And I think that we learn from this the fact that Hannah wanted a child really badly, but more than her desire to have her wishes fulfilled, she wanted to glorify God through that child and through everything that she had. When we see that, we see the magnitude of the vow that Hannah made to God. She was so devoted to God and glorifying Him that she was willing to give up the one thing that she desired of Him so that He may be glorified, to give that thing up to His service. And I want you to think about our own situations, whatever problems we might find in life, whatever struggles we might have, when you pray, what is our attitude and what is our mindset? At least for me, I'll tell you that all too often, whenever I have pain and whenever I have struggling or anguish, my prayer to God is that God would relieve me of that pain and that that anguish would be taken away from me or that I would get the thing that I desire from God. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have that mindset and to do that and to turn to Him in that way, but... In all of that, at all times, my first and foremost priority should not be that I would receive relief from my pain or I would receive everything I want, but rather that God may be glorified. Because it's not about me. It's about God. And that should be my mindset and that should be my attitude. But all too often, my prayers may be selfish. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Sometimes we need to take inventory of our prayers and think about whether or not we're praying that God will grant us what we want or that no matter what we want, whether or not God grants it to us, 
that God will have what he wants, that he will be glorified, knowing that sometimes God says no to our prayers, and he has a bigger picture in mind than we could ever comprehend. He knows what's best for us. Do we have that kind of trust and devotion in him? If not, I encourage you to cultivate that. Think about what Jesus did whenever he sacrificed himself on the cross. He didn't want to have to suffer that. He knew that it was going to be difficult for, to physically endure the sacrifice on the cross and the awful death and the separation from God because of our sins, because he had none. What a difficult thing to go through. He didn't want to have to. But he wanted God's will to be done. And that's why he said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He said, if there's any other way for this to be accomplished, let it be done. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to do this. But if this is the only way, not, let it not be my, what I want that, be, that happens, but what you will. Is that my mindset? Is that my attitude? Hannah trusted in God and submitted to God, even though she did not know whether or not God would grant her her request. She didn't know whether or not she was going to have children. But she still went away in peace because she had completely devoted herself over to God. And when the time came for her to have that child, she gave up the child to his service because her, her desire was not for her needs to be satisfied or for her uh, desires to be satisfied, but that God would be glorified. Is that your attitude? Is that your mindset? Is that my attitude and mindset? Hopefully it is, but if it's not, then we need to have that mindset. We need to have that attitude. We don't know if God's going to grant the things that we desire. Sometimes we may go through very difficult times in life and we don't have any relief from it and we're not going to have any relief from it. And we're going to die in pain and sorrow in some ways. That's possible. Eventually, we're going to die anyway if the Lord doesn't come. And there most likely will be pain. And there will be sorrow. In all of that, though, do we have the mindset and attitude that even if God doesn't grant us relief from whatever it is we may suffer in this life, we are still devoted to Him. And we still want His will to be done. We still have that desire to glorify Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had, they faced the, the prospect of being thrown into the fiery furnace and for not bowing down and worshiping the idol. And whenever they were confronted with this, you know what they said? They said, we don't know, or they said, we know that God is able to save us from this furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and we're still not going to worship this idol. You see, they knew that God could relieve them from that death and from that pain, but they didn't know for sure whether or not God would, but that's not what their goal was necessarily, to be relieved from that pain. Their goal was to glorify God, and God did deliver them from the fiery furnace, but they didn't know whether or not that was going to happen for sure, but they still trusted God. That's what we're talking about. That's the mindset that we ought to have. Think about your prayers and think about your way of thinking. Is it about you or is it about God? Is it selfish or is it that God's will may be done? Again, we can pray that we would have relief from whatever we're struggling with, but also know that sometimes the answer to your prayer may be no, and that's okay. And we can trust God anyway and still remain devoted to Him. And not only that, 
not only can we devote ourselves fully over to Him and His will and have peace in our life, we can still have joy even in the difficult times. That's the last thing I want to talk about. 1 Samuel 1 verse 18 says, And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She wasn't sad anymore. She, again, didn't know whether or not she would get the thing that she desired, but she had enough faith and trust in God to say, You know what? It's okay either way. And she rejoiced in God. She wasn't sad. Do you and I find ourselves joyful in the difficult times that we have in life? That's really hard to do, isn't it? When we're struggling, when we're suffering, to find joy in those situations. But the fact is that we're going to have good times in life and we're going to have bad times in life. We're going to have sadness and sorrow and pain. We're going to have triumph and happiness and exaltation. But in all of those things, we can still have joy in God. Because why? Because we're not worried so much about this life and the pains and, and triumphs and good and bad times. We're more concerned. We're more thankful for the next. Realizing that no matter what happens in this life, good or bad, happy or sad, it's going to be okay in the end. We're going to be with God forever in heaven. And that is our goal. And that is our mindset. And that is our attitude. And that's where our heart is. And that's where our joy comes from. In the fact that Christ saved us from our sins to give us the hope of eternity with God. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. No matter what happens in this life, it's going to be okay in the end, even if we don't receive relief from whatever pain we may be struggling with. And even in those times of pain, we can still rejoice in God knowing that the difficult times in our life can often produce greater devotion to Him and greater peace and even greater joy, perhaps. Look at the example of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10. through 10. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So he knew that he received this, this thorn of the flesh, whatever it was, some kind of physical ailment, and he knew the reason for it, so that he wouldn't be exalted above measure. Sometimes we go through times of trouble and trial in our life, and we don't always know the reason for it. May, and this is a totally different sermon, you know, we could talk about the providence of God and whether or not uh, the, when God works directly in our lives or whether or not uh, God sets everything in motion and allows time and chance to happen. The Bible talks about time and chance. That's not really the point of the sermon. The point is that sometimes we go through very difficult times, and he went through a difficult time, but he still rejoiced in it. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times he pleaded with God that whatever he was struggling with would be taken away. And what did God say? And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow, isn't that amazing? I mean, what an amazing thing to say. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. Why? Because it helps me rely on God and shows the goodness of God and the power of Christ to help us overcome. 
Is that our mindset? Do we rejoice in God knowing that the sufferings that we face in this life, they help us understand the better, the hope that we have in heaven? We think about that for just a moment. All the things that we might suffer, all the pain and sorrow that we endure, isn't that going to make heaven just a little bit sweeter? Or isn't it, doesn't it make it a little bit sweeter in our mind, realizing and, and understanding that God can get us through it and in the end it'll be okay because we'll be with Him and we'll have no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. We'll be in the presence of God for all eternity. In Thy presence is joy forevermore. What a great blessing. What a great thing to look forward to. And if life is easy, perhaps we don't think about those things so much. Because we're too happy enjoying our life. But when we suffer, then we desire heaven, don't we? And he says, I rejoice. I take pleasure in my infirmities. Is that your mindset? Is that mindset, my mindset? Realizing that we may not ever get relief from whatever it is we're struggling with in this life. But it's okay because there's another life coming. And that will help us get through it with the right attitude, with an attitude that says, I'm going to remain devoted to God no matter what. With an attitude that says, I'm going to give my cares fully over to God. I'm going to turn to Him in prayer, and I'm going to trust Him completely because I am His child and He loves me. And I may not know why I'm suffering these things, but it's going to be okay in the end. That's a great example we can learn from Hannah and hopefully that's our mindset too. But if it's not, I encourage you to adopt that mindset and that attitude. Turn to God in prayer in the difficult times. Devote yourself fully over to Him. And don't be selfish in that you want your desires to be met, but you would rather God be glorified, even if that means that you don't get what you want. And still rejoice in God, even in the difficult times, knowing that your home in heaven is waiting for you after this life and all your sufferings are over. If that's not your mindset and that's not your attitude, I encourage you to, to develop that and adopt that. And I need to do the same. We can pray with you and for you this afternoon. We can encourage you and we can help you. If you're struggling with that, or if you're not a Christian, you haven't accepted salvation that Christ offers, He gave you a great blessing, great opportunity in what He suffered for you on the cross. Don't spurn that invitation. Don't spurn that opportunity. Become a child of God today. Have your sins washed away and you can have that hope. That no matter what you suffer in this life, it's going to be okay in the end because you have home in heaven waiting for you because Christ paid the price. Accept it today. Become a child of God. We can help you. Please come forward if we can help you as we stand and sing.